heart or whatever. And love, true love, will follow you fire off. I should give your heart to a wild thing. They don't know your heart. I do. I've seen it. You have shown it to me. Is my heart showing? Oh, it's Megan. Hey, y'all. It's Molly. Welcome to another episode of the Is My Heart Showing podcast. And today, we are not going to ask a question, but we are going to have an awareness episode. We're going to learn all about spina bifida um, this week. And hopefully, through these um, awareness episodes, we can learn more about each other and it can cause us to have more empathy towards each other. Yeah, so I'm not a doctor, but I do uh, have a child that has this. So I'm going to try to explain this simply to you guys without using a lot of big medical words. I will have to use some, but try to keep it as simple as I can so y'all can understand more about it. Okay, so... I know that the average person barely knows what spina bifida is unless you know someone personally that has it. And a a lot of people, even if you do know someone that has it, you may not know that much about it. So basically spina bifida is a birth defect and it happens when a baby's spinal cord fails to develop or close properly. Spina bifida is Latin for split spine. And this typically happens in the first few weeks of pregnancy. So often before you even realize that you're pregnant, like it can be like week one, two, three. So normally women find out like you'd say four, week four or five is probably when you when most people find out. I think I was like eight weeks. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) but yeah Yeah, so that's um that's a a lot of the reason why they uh we can I'll talk more about this later but like that's why you need to be taking folic acid before before okay because yeah they think that it can prevent it I'll talk more about that later though so typically you find out that you that your baby has this through uh some blood work that you get uh, in your prenatal appointments, I found out um, through my 20-week ultrasound, the anatomy scan. So either one of those is kind of when they're going to figure it out. Um, and it's there's fewer than 200,000 cases a year, so it's pretty rare. Um, there's no cure. Um it kind of gets on my nerves because there are some articles out there and like videos that claim that we have a cure now because of something called fetal surgery that they do now in infants. And it does the fetal surgery that they have recently started doing. It does. um, I'll talk more about what that is later, but it helps the baby's outcomes, but it does not cure it. So there Mm -hmm. is no actual cure. Um, that's like yeah, saying anyway. that, yeah, we can sew your arm back off if you cut on, you know, yeah. we have a cure for it, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it's still, yeah. you cut it off and there's going to be problems with that. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
Um, so because this occurs in the spine, obviously there's a lot of things that can go wrong with your spine being messed up. So um, it should go without saying that your spinal cord is an extremely important and intricate part of the body. Um, so the three main things that your spinal cord does is it sends motor commands from the brain to the body. It sends sensory information from the body to the brain and it coordinates our reflexes as well. So typically with spina bifida, the higher up the, de the defect is on the spine, the greater loss of function that a person is going to have. So um, not always, but most of the time, that's the case anyway. Um, the higher up the, like, the more likely that you're going to have problems like maybe you're not going to be able to walk or it'll be hard to walk or it might take you longer to walk. And we'll go in more into like, so like the, the closer it that. is to your head. Kind but, of yeah, the closer that it is to the brain. Yes. Okay. The, the further up on the spine. Its nickname is the snowflake condition because it affects no two people the same way. And the initial treatment is either fetal surgery or postnatal surgery. And what they're doing either way is they're closing the back. And if there's any nerves sticking out, they're poking them back in as best they can and they're closing up the back. Um, Do they label like the degree? Is there like, can you get like spina bifida one or two or? Yes. Um, so my daughter has it in her sacrum. And so it's, it's labeled by where it is located on the spine. And some doctors will go as far as telling you where on the sacrum it is, but really technically the sacrum is the very bottom. It's your tailbone. So my doctor, her doctors never told her, never told us like exactly where at on the sacrum it was, but she has a really good friend that hers is like, I think it's L1. So lumbar one. So hers is a little higher up and she, it does affect her a little bit more than it affects Nancy. That's not always typical. Like I said, it just depends. But then it also, I'll, in just a second, I'll explain there are three main types too. I think that's actually what I'm talking about next, but yeah. So one thing I was going to say was that not all states at this point in time offer fetal surgery in um, my state. It's not available. If we wanted to Is do that, that before they're born. Yeah, that's before oh. they, they're capable. Now they have the technology to literally go inside the womb and close the back in the womb without having the baby be born. And it's very, um, it's a lot newer. Like I said, you can't do it everywhere. And there's a lot of, like there's a lot of uh, pre-qualifications you have to have to be able to do it. You can only be, I can't remember how, like there's like a very short window in your pregnancy that you can do it. And your baby has to be a certain degree of like 
worse off kind of thing. Like they have to be a certain, like if, like, I don't think that we would have qualified because hers was so low and her, um, there were some other things that she didn't have that would have. Yeah. So there's like, you have to meet a bunch of criteria to be able to even qualify to have. I'm sure it would be more risky. So that is very risky right now. But I have heard a lot of people say that it like, it is becoming more popular now. Um, and yeah, I've heard a lot of good. I, I don't know if I have ever heard a bad, I don't know if I've ever heard of anyone dying bad, from it. Yeah. That, I don't, I don't know if it's just because people don't talk about it or what. So yeah, there's three different types of spina bifida. So the first thing they talk about is like the area on the spine, the level it's called the lesion level. And then there's three different types. So there's a culta meningocil and myelomeningocil. A culta is not very bad. A lot of people live their whole lives with it and they don't even know. Um, your back is still closed when you have a culta, but it's just, um, there's not like an, there's not like an opening on the back. It's just like, there's like a part, like there might be like a part of the bone is missing or something like that inside. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't affect people as much. Um, I believe anyway, I, I don't know that much about a culta, but, um, I won't really talk about the, the worst one and the one that causes, I mean, the worst one across the board is myelomeningocil. And that is the type that my daughter has. Um, so common issues. I'm going to talk about common issues that people deal with that have it. Um, Cause there's a lot. So walking, walking and mobility problems. Some can walk, some use walkers, some have wheelchairs. Some people can walk for a certain amount of time and then they can't anymore and they get exhausted and their back starts to hurt and they have to switch to a wheelchair. Um, uh, orthopedic problems like scoliosis, abnormal growth, hip dysplasia. Um, that was something that my daughter had. She had hip dysplasia and she had to wear a hip brace when she was a baby for a while. Um, a lot of kids that have this have bowel and bladder problems. A lot of them have to use catheters and they can't achieve full like continence. Um, that's pretty typical. Um, another major common thing is hydrocephalus. And if you've never heard of that, it's um, basically when water builds up on your brain. So because it's affecting your spine, it's also affecting the water in your brain. And the, a lot of times the water in your brain will build up. And so a lot of babies that have this, their, their head will swell and like during the NICU stay. And a lot of them end up having to have a shunt, which is kind of like a dam in your head that brings the water back down to like your abdomen. And the invention of the shunt is, oh, like that has saved so many kids' lives. Um, a lot of times they have to have, uh, the, the shunt will malfunction sometimes and they have to 
have surgeries to uh, do a shunt revision surgery and stuff like that. Another thing is Chari 2 malformation. I'm sorry, I know I said that I wasn't going to say a lot of big words, but it's <laughs> kind of hard sometimes. Sometimes you have to say the big words. Chari 2 malformation. That's when, you're, that's when your brain stem is lower, like in your neck, in the back, than it normally should. And it can cause things like breathing problems, um, swallowing problems. A lot of kids that have spina bifida have texture issues with food, and that's because of the chari tube. They have chari wow. tube. Yeah. My daughter kind actually, of like slides down because yeah. of where, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, that kind of goes hand in hand, I believe, with hydrocephalus. Um, so another one is. Um, you were saying, I cut you off, My, your daughter had texture she does she does have chari too a little bit but it's not enough to like be an issue she also has hydrocephalus but it leveled out and she did not end up needing a shunt um tethered cord uh a lot of kids have to have tethered cord surgery which um a tethered spinal cord is when um when you have the first surgery when they're babies the spinal nerves will bind to the scar tissue from the initial surgery. And so it can cause loss of function as the kid grows and the doctors will have to go and like untether the cord to the scar tissue. So that's called tethered cord surgery. We don't know if our daughter will have to have any of those surgeries or not. They, you just kind of have to pay attention and see like, is she complaining about walking more? Like I know one kid um, who's pretty popular in the spina bifida community, he was walking and he just like suddenly was like, I don't want to walk anymore. It hurts too bad. And he started crawling and they knew that that's what it was. And they, and he still, I don't think is walking as well as he was before, but it's just something that you just constantly have to work on. A lot of kids have to go to physical therapy and, all these different therapies to try to gain as much function as they have they, as they can. Another thing is skin problems because a lot of kids that have this can't um, feel their feet. They have no function. Like they just, they can't even like you touch their toes and they can't feel it at all. And so because they can't feel it, they can hurt their feet and not know it. And it can cause issues. Um, Another big thing is latex allergy. For some reason, they figured out that with people that have this, they are prone to becoming allergic to natural rubber latex. And so whenever you get told that your baby has this, your doctors will tell you, you basically have to live, they have to live their lives like they are allergic to it because the more that they touch it and come in contact with things like rubber bands, tires, um, yeah, like sometimes erasers on pencils, different things like that. You have to learn about what all these things are and avoid them as best as you can, because the more they touch it, the more likely they're going to become allergic to it. Um, another thing is UTIs. Um, because of the whole bowel and bladder problems, um, they're way more prone to UTIs because a lot of them can't completely empty. And so it gets backed up and causes UTIs. 
And also some kids can have learning disorders like ADD and stuff. And some kids have trouble learning to read and uh, trouble learning math. Um, that's just, yeah. So some of these things we won't know until our daughter is older, if she's going to have these kind of issues or not. So that's basically, I probably left some out. There's probably more because it can affect, again, because because it's it on the spot. Yeah, it can affect the brain and it can affect mobility everything. and all that. Yeah. Now I'll talk about how you can get this, how this, how this happens, at least how they think. Because they aren't 100% sure what causes it, but... They think that it's a combination of genetics. It might be nutrition or the environment. Um, they also think that folic acid or folate deficiency has something to do with it. That's why it's very important that if you're sexually active that you are always taking folate or folic acid. A lot of people say folate is better that you can digest it easier and it actually gets absorbed in your body better. So I would try to get folate if I could. Um, so yeah, whether or not you're trying to conceive, um, they typically recommend 400 micrograms of folic acid or folate. But if you've had a baby with a birth defect before or someone in your family has, um, like my doctor told me that I need to be taking 4,000 micrograms. And technically, Megan, you're supposed to be doing that too. And all my sister-in-laws and everything, because they don't know if it's the mom's side or the dad's side. They don't know. So yeah. everyone in my family is supposed to be taking a, way more folic acid than the normal amount, which I honestly don't understand why they don't just have everybody do that. Because it seems like a crazy more amount. So, yeah. Yeah. Definitely something to ask your doctor about. Or yeah. 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 Ask your doctor. Don't. Yeah. Don't take my word for it. Definitely talk to your OBGYN about it. Um, another interesting thing is in the Vietnam War, they used a herbicide called Agent Orange, and that has been linked now to a lot of babies um, being born with birth defects and a lot of them can actually get on like veterans insurance or whatever, you know, whatever, yeah. a lot of them are eligible to get on that because they know that they've gotten spina bifida or another birth defect because their dad was exposed to agent orange in Vietnam. Hmm. Um, so that was like an interesting thing that I learned about when I was learning about all this. Um, so before 1960, the survival rate for all types, occulta, meningocell, myelomeningocell, it was only 10 to 12%. That was the survival rate. So at first, they would wait until the child was like two to start treatment, like to do the surgery at all, because they were thinking, oh, well, we'll wait to see who's going to be the most, uh, like the strongest who can handle it. And so if you didn't live to be two, they weren't going to bother with you basically. Yeah, um, I mean, some of these kids, I mean, have their spinal cord hanging out completely. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, wow. in, in the mid sixties, there were three doctors from the United Kingdom that did a study 
and they figured out that it was better to operate within 12 to 48 hours of birth. So that got changed. Um, one of the doctors, Robert Zachary, he became the leading voice of optimism with spina bifida because he, he really started to see like the potential in the kids and how much they were like improving with treatment and everything. And so he tried to really get it out there. Like, Hey, these kids, like, it's not a death sentence. Like we can work with them. And like, it's actually not that bad. Um, and also a lot of this history about this stuff, it has to do with kids with the worst type with the myeloma ninja cell where the, the nerves are literally hanging out of the body. Sometimes they're in a sack and sometimes they're just hanging out or that's just like an open hole. Um, but that's the worst type. So a lot of these studies are done on the kids that have the myelio kind. So they, those three doctors came out with that study. Well, then later on, one of the guys that did the study, John Lorber, uh, he, oh yeah, so he kind of went back on what he originally had said with the other two guys. Um, he argued that there was actually no quality of life. And he kind of tried to push back and say that, no, 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 we need to have like a lot more criteria to decide which babies are worth saving, quote unquote. And this was in like 1971 when he said all this, he came out with all this stuff. And um, unfortunately, a lot of this was widely adopted, his criteria. He like basically had a list of like, okay, well, if the baby is like, if the lesion is this low, I don't know what it specifically it was, yeah, but he had a list and checklist. he was like, if the, if the baby doesn't meet this checklist, then they're just, we're not going to even try. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a really dark time in spina bifida history. And it's just crazy because like, it was just, that was like in the seventies. Mm. And, um, it was it really wasn't that long ago, but um, and it, it it even went into the '80s some too. But since then, the treatment has improved a lot. Um, unfortunately, there were still and still are today a lot of doctors that are pessimistic about it. They kind of uh, they'll tell parents worst case scenarios that they'll call it a prognosis. So those are two different mm -hmm. things. And so a lot of times parents will get pressured to have abortions. And our daughter, hers, because hers was really low, um, we, we never got the paperwork about abortion. We, we were never asked to, that, that wasn't ever like suggested for us. But I have friends that I've met through having through the spine of a community that they have, like they were pressured to abort Aww. and stuff. And yeah, it's really sad. Um, but the truth is if you're listening to this right now and you, your baby has been diagnosed with this, the honest truth is that the doctors do not know. They, they are guessing. They're just making their best guess. And a lot of times if you will go on like Facebook and find like a mom's group of like, uh, like a spina bifida mom's group, you will find that a lot of these kids overcome a lot 
of the odds stacked against them and the doctors ended up being wrong. Um, one of my best friends has a daughter that has this and they told her that she probably would never walk and she's walking now. She's doing awesome. Um, so yeah, that's another thing. If, if you, you know, like get a second opinion. Yeah, that's, that's another thing. Yeah. Get a second opinion. Um, cause they really don't, they don't know as much as that. They're, they're just trying, they're, they're trying to prepare you for the worst case scenario, but it's very rare that that actually happens from what I've seen. Um, it's hard not to go Google crazy when you get a diagnosis like this, but I mean, trust me, I know cause I did it and it scared me to death, but honestly, a lot of the information that you'll find is outdated. There's uh, especially statistics because outcomes have improved so much in just the past like 20 years that they really don't, they can't like kids are so much better off now than they ever have been. And so the statistics might scare you, but just know that those are really, out, it's really outdated information. Yeah. The technology is changing constantly too. And what they're yeah. capable of and yeah. Sure. Um, my, the, the best thing I did was join a mom's group that, they just all talked about how awesome their kids were doing and they gave each other advice. And they, like every day there's moms on there that say like, I just got, my baby just got diagnosis. I don't know what to do. And they all kind of rally together and they encourage the mom and um, just make them feel a lot better because Google's not going to do that for you. Yeah. But yeah, I found that way more helpful than Google. <laughs> So I'll tell y'all a little bit about what happened with us. Um, so with my first child, I had a home birth. I really, really liked it. I, I don't like being touched. <laughs> I don't like going to hospitals and stuff. And I did a lot of research and decided that home birth would be best for us. So we did that with her. And I really wanted to do it with my second and when we went to the 20 week ultrasound, actually everything was fine. We, we weren't told anything and I thought everything was fine. They told us it was a girl and we went home. And then the next day I get a call from my midwife and she said, they think that they might've found a hole on her back. She didn't want to say anything to you there, you know, cause she wasn't the doctor. She was just the ultrasound tech. So she called my midwife and told her. And so I had to go back again. I had to wait through the weekend <laughs> and do all my Googling and then went in on Monday. And, um, uh, and, and that was when we found out that she for sure had it. We had to go to like a high risk uh, OB and found out that she did have it. And they told us that it was, um, they never, again, they, they never, suggested abortion for us because hers was so low and they they went ahead the doctor was he went ahead and told us like she'll probably walk she'll probably like it's very low she'll she'll probably be fine um so that was kind of our diagnosis day of course we cried and all you know started researching even more and just kind of preparing for what was to come 
So my prenatal care was a lot different than normal. Whenever you get a diagnosis like this, you have to have a lot of ultrasounds because they're constantly monitoring the spot on her back. And she had a big sack. And um, so we were constantly measuring it, measuring the hole and everything, and also checking on her brain for the hydrocephalus because the hydrocephalus will build and build and build until the baby is born. And after they're born, that's kind of the waiting game to figure out if it's going to keep rising or if it's going to level out and they're going to need a shunt. So that was basically the prenatal care. They just monitor you a lot closely. You have to go in more. And so then we had to have a C-section and I was so devastated about that, but I know that it was what needed to happen. And so I, I came to terms with that. I never thought that I'd ever have one, but um, I was humbled by that experience. Um, but yeah, she had her, how big do you think her sack was on her back? Three inches, two inches. Yeah, it was like, I, looking at it, it looked like softball size, but I know it yeah, wasn't like, like, I don't know, maybe like, it was big. It was really big. Like I mean, I remember thinking, I guess I, my first thought when I saw the picture was, oh my goodness, that's really bigger than I yeah. thought it was going to be. But then yeah. like the more I looked at it, I was like, actually, it's really not that bad. I don't know. Like, I had mixed feelings like it, it, was, it was way bigger than I thought. Yeah, it, it was, was going to be. It was different than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. But yeah. And thankfully when she was born it was all skin covered and it wasn't open so I was able to do skin to skin and like hold her for a little bit before they because whenever you do this they you don't get to like keep your baby they have to take them straight to the children's hospital in your area. Yeah, and, that's what, oh, that's so, I know that many, many yeah. women go through that, but like, they're not just like taking your baby into the other room. They're like taking it to taking a completely, it different completely different hospital. Yeah. Like across town. Yeah. yeah. And in your situation, so, I know there are some places that maybe it's not like that, but. I yeah, would, there I, are some places that they have a really good NICU. And so you end up staying in the same hospital, but yeah, where we were. I was in one hospital and then she was like across the interstate at the other hospital. And so my husband went with her and thankfully I had, I got, I was blessed with a really good hospital and they understood that I did not like to do things the normal way. And they let me have my doula in there so that I wasn't by myself after my husband left me and went with my daughter and so, and I'm so thankful that she was there because when my husband was with me, she, I told her, Hey, you go take pictures of her. I want her to see, I want, I, I wanted to have pictures of her back because I wanted her to see, and I wanted just pictures of her when she just came out. Um, so I had her take a bunch of pictures of my daughter whenever she was first born so that I could show her later. Like, this is what that looked like when you were born and stuff. Cause some people don't think to do that. Um, and so, yeah, we, she did that for me. And then whenever my husband left uh, to go with her, uh, my doula got to stay with me and hold my hand. Cause I was terrified of having a C-section. It was like, that was like my biggest fear, especially getting the spinal 
I was so scared I was gonna like be paralyzed for the rest of my life. I've heard horror stories. So, but it went okay. It actually, it went the best that it, I, that was like the best C-section I could have asked for. Um, I got to hold her and everything before they took her. So I got to leave. I only had to stay one night and they left, let me leave the next day um, because they knew my situation. So uh, my daughter had to stay in the NICU for 11 days. She didn't develop uh, severe hydrocephalus. So we got to go home without having to have a shunt put in. And they just monitored her and they made sure that she was you know, improving and that her, she wasn't getting, um, um, infection, things like that. And so we eventually got to go home. But she did have the initial surgery. She did. It was 12 hours. It was like, it was about 12 hours after she was born. They did the surgery on her and, um, she did, she did well. Um, another thing I didn't mention is back like before they started doing all of this in the sixties, doing the back closure surgeries, it was like a, it was, like I said, 10, 12% of people lived with it, but otherwise a lot of them died of meningitis. That was like a common thing because they'd get the infection and then it, they'd succumb to meningitis. So that's one thing that they're watching in the NICU is they don't want the baby to get meningitis. So they're constantly, you know, monitoring them. So, the first six weeks, and this is different every hospital. Um, I've learned this from following the moms group. We had to, we couldn't lay her lie on her back for more than like 15 or 30 minutes for the first six weeks of her life. So everyone's always like, back is best. Well, not when you have a baby with a spine of evidence. <laughs> you have to let them lie on their stomach or their side. Um, because yeah, when their back is healing, you can't, you know, it's not good for them to lie on their back very long. So um, she was prone for six weeks and we couldn't give her like a bath. We had to give her a sponge bath. And boy, when we started giving her a bath, she hated it because <laughs> she just wasn't used to it. <laughs> but she eventually got used to it. Another thing is you can't put them, because of where we lived, we couldn't go in, um, uh, we couldn't, take her home in a regular car seat. Y'all should Google car seat beds. I did not know these existed until I had baby's spina bifida, but it's basically a bassinet bed that has car seat straps and you strap them in on their stomach and you take, that's how we had to take her home. And she had to lay in that thing to go anywhere for a while. And then eventually um, after six weeks, we could finally start using a regular car seat. Did you just then, wait on the stroller? I don't remember. Did you get one of those prams? Yeah, like I had to get, I had to get one of those things that was just like, it just straps the car seat onto the stroller thing. It was just like a base, a stroller a base. base thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I did. Um, and then other than that, after the first six weeks, it was basically like the first two, three years of her life, things generally took a little bit longer. All of her, um, what's the word? Um, Milestones. milestones. Yeah. All of her developmental milestones were a little delayed and that's always going to depend on the severity of the spina bifida, the lesion and the type. Um, we got lucky. She did have the worst type, but her 
uh, neurosurgeon said that he literally just had to tuck the nerves. It was just a little tip that was sticking out and then he just tucked it back in. And we really think that is why she's doing as well as she is today. So yeah, she actually was extremely fast with rolling over, but she was a little delayed on walking and crawling, walking. She wasn't delayed on talking. She's very smart. People <laughs> talk her head off. Um, there's nothing going, there's nothing wrong with her brain. <laughs> she's totally fine there, but she's, she's like, I just want to say this to like all the moms out there that has been diagnosed with this. My daughter is four. She, if you saw her, she has, she has sacral myelomeningocele because I know they're going to Google these things. She has sacral myelomeningocele. She can walk. They're pretty sure she's going to potty train. She's doing very well with potty training. She doesn't have to have a shunt. Her hydrocephalus leveled out. Um, what are the other things? She, she doesn't have a latex allergy that we know yet. We just avoid it. She hasn't, she's only had one official UTI. Um, and she's she, hit all of her milestones. She's hit all her milestones. If you looked at her, you would never know that she had it unless I told you. So that's what happened with us. Um, you know, every kid's different. And I mean, I know it's the grace of God. I, uh, you know, everything happens for a reason. God has a plan. It's, um, yeah. I mean, you know. the world would not be as fun of a place if it wasn't for Nancy. Yeah. She's a sweetheart. <laughs> So to kind of finish off, one thing you didn't share, but you had kind of mentioned to me earlier was the story about the man who invented the shunt. Oh, yes. I forgot to talk about that. Yeah, it was, it, um, I can't, I think it was in the 50s or somewhere around there. This man had a son, a baby son born. He didn't have spina bifida, but he had hydrocephalus because sometimes you can just get hydrocephalus and he um, was struggling and it kept getting worse and worse and worse. And his dad was an inventor. So he started trying to invent the shunt, basically what the, basically a prototype for what we use today. It's very similar. And he worked so hard on it. And basically it was pretty sad. His son ended up dying before he completed it and got it completely where it was working. And it, I think it was literally like months it was just like Aww. a month or two after his son had died, but something did good came out of him working so hard. Cause now thanks to him, there's, he's saved probably thousands of kids lives with right. his invention. So. Yeah. We can't always see the, the good in the, the good. moments that it happens, but yeah. I think stories like that is like, Oh, there's a reason for all this. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's also kind of um, a tribute to how parents, uh, where doctors know a lot, but the parents are living with these kids and, yes. you know, you live with the disease. And I think, um, the stories like that, a lot of the parents know how to fix and how to deal with the things just because you're living with the disease every day. Yeah. Um, he was probably super smart, but yeah, that's, that's mm -hmm. an awesome little story. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. I hope that um, this reaches somebody out there that um, may have just had a this diagnosis, and now they. I hope that you know that there's hope, and 
um, that it's not, it's not all darkness. Yeah. And we will see you guys later. Thanks for listening. Thanks guys. One last thing before we go, we wanted to mention that October is Spina Bifida Awareness Month. It's a great time to learn about Spina Bifida, to celebrate the hundreds of thousands of people living with Spina Bifida in the U.S., and um, even donate. So we would encourage you to visit SpinaBifidaAssociation.org to find out more information and more ways that you can um, raise awareness and learn about spina bifida and you can even donate there Um, or check out our Facebook page on Is My Heart Showing podcast on Facebook and we'll have the link available there for you. Thank you for listening to the Is My Heart Showing podcast. Please consider subscribing. Follow us at is my heart showing on Instagram and look us up on Facebook. We'd love for you to like our page and we'll see you next time.